must try harder, see me after class. Now, these are the kinds of phrases that epitomised school for a great number of us. That's not to say that it was all red pen and crosses, because at the other end of the spectrum, of course, there was always well done. Now, it could just be me, but I don't remember there being an awful lot of degrees in between these two options. Teachers seem now, though, to operate within a much more nuanced world, filled with what went wells and even better ifs. So, given that there's a new approach to providing feedback in the classroom, relatively speaking, are we parents missing a trick in how we encourage and support our teens at home? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they study for their GCSEs in 2021. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. They could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. These are normal teens, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will be facing. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at feedback, what it's for, and importantly, how to provide it well. I'm delighted to be joined by Michael Childs. Michael is currently head of department for a secondary school in the Northwest, having started his career as a geography teacher. He has also spent time developing and delivering teacher training, both nationally and internationally. And Michael is also the author of the best-selling The Craft of Assessment and recently published The Feedback Pendulum. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. How well you've done and how to improve are key metrics in any performance conversation. Our teams are this week mindful that their GCSE results are not going to be based on a terminal exam. Instead, teachers are assessing their grades. For many, it's raising questions. They may not have been happy with their mock exam results, for example, and what does that mean? Lee, for example, was almost relying on the final exam. He believed that what he needed to do to get the grade he wants was simply to work harder and spend more time revising. But now he's concerned that teacher assessment won't necessarily help him. Now this struck me as odd on two levels. Firstly, the idea that to improve simply required time, and this ignores the idea that there are specific areas that he might need to focus on. And secondly, that those people around him couldn't positively influence that improvement. Michael, Is feedback's role simply to let us know how we've got on against an expectation? Fundamentally, when we think of feedback, it's multifaceted, so it has different sort of, I suppose, intentions. But I think that the surface layer is probably that bit, like you say, where you're finding out from a teacher or you're finding out from a parent at home or or another adult Or even, to be honest, you find out from one of your peers, one of your friends that you might be studying with. This is how well they feel that you've done. So you've been provided with some information. They've given you some information and you've received it. And I think that's the first first point. And that information can come in different formats. It can come in a format of a potentially like a number of marks. It could be in a format of more sort of descriptive 
comments or targets, as you say, often commonly seen as what went well in EVIs in a lot of schools. And that is probably the surface layer of feedback, but I think feedback probably goes beyond that. And I think the important part is that whenever we get feedback, no matter who we are and who's giving us, we need to consider, well, what are we going to do next? Because actually giving and receiving feedback is very easy. We do that all the time. I suspect that we've probably given feedback to our friends maybe where we said, oh, I'm not, not too sure about about that choice of top that you're wearing today, maybe something else would be better or not too convinced by that choice of meal that you're having at school today. But actually, what are you going to do next? So the most important part, I would say, about feedback is actually the action part. What are you going to do after someone's giving you that feedback? And so feedback can, is it fair to say, broadly fall into the two caps of negative and positive feedback? Is it that simplistic? I think that we can fall in the danger of saying, is it just positive or negative? But I mean that in its simplistic form, it can be positive or negative feedback. But then we have to unpick that, is it just numerical feedback? Is it written feedback? Does it come as positive? Does it come in negative? Does it come in written form? Does it come in verbal form? Does it come in non-verbal cues, which often can happen, such as a raised eyebrow or a shock face at maybe something that's been handed in? Like I can imagine that as students are handed in a piece of work and they thought, I might just get away with this piece of work. And then the, the shock face on their teacher when they hand that piece of work in and actually oof, they didn't get away with it as expected or quite the reverse, they might hand in a piece of work they think you know what I've worked really hard on this can't wait to get the feedback and actually they don't get the feedback that they expected the raised eyebrow bit I definitely get and maybe not as a parent but I remember yesterday actually telling the family that we were going to be having pastelless lasagna and it was absolutely raised eyebrows all around so if you say that on almost an involuntary feedback of actually dad you're wrong that's not what we're going to be having for dinner we'll be having something else are they as powerful those involuntary or visual cues as they are the verbal stuff is there a hierarchy of feedback do you think that maybe students take on board what seem to be involuntary more than necessarily some deliberate feedback i think it comes down to there's certain triggers that we have and there's three sort of key triggers and that relates around our relationship maybe with the person that we're receiving that feedback from it can often be down to our own identities as well and the truths that we have about the person that's given the feedback. And I think that can fundamentally have an impact more often than not that if students are receiving feedback from other students or their peers, the basis of that feedback and how it's received will depend upon their relationship. So it could be their friend and it might be received really well. So a raised eyebrow, oh, I can't believe you wrote that on there. Why did you put that for? But actually probably be taken really well, but only taken really well and received well because they've got that relationship. Whereas it could be, and I'm sure it's happened to a lot of students where they've been paired up with someone that they don't like and they raise their eyebrows and say, well, why did you put that for? That doesn't make any sense. And actually that's led to some comfort because they haven't got that relationship. And I'm sure that many parents have probably had the scenario where their child's come home and they've said, Miss put me with Tom and I can't stand Tom at all. And he told me this is what he thought of my work and didn't agree with him at all. It was so frustrating. And so I think that, again, it, we have to bear in mind that whenever we give feedback, whenever we receive it, there's so many variables 
that can have a big impact on whether we actually receive it well and then whether we actually want to action it. I think it's really interesting, that relationship element. So thinking now as lockdown continues and a lot of learning is happening at home, that parents are in this position where they may be giving feedback. And you would hope that the relationship between the child and the parent is a good one. It should be based on trust. It's certainly based on being known well. We've heard from previous guests that parents are experts in their children. But I wonder whether if the feedback coming from the parent were schoolwork related, whether or not it would carry the same kind of validity whether students would think, you don't know what you're talking about, your feedback is less important. Is that the kind of thing that you think parents might be battling against at the moment? I think so, and especially if their child doesn't want to hear that feedback, and I think that's important as well. It comes back to we can give feedback all the time, but if we don't want to receive it, we don't want to hear it, we put our natural barriers up. That's just just human nature. And I think being a parent myself, it can be difficult that if you're not seen as an expert you're right you say in that field and that subject then your credibility in providing feedback will be questioned and that's just natural but I think that that changes over time so at a primary school level I think parents would be seen as more credible with their child to be able to give that feedback and to be able to support that home learning where the difficulties start to arise is a more sort of key stage three definitely key stage four and then by the time you get to key stage five it's obviously very more niche and parents influence unless they are experts in that particular field or that subject will inevitably struggle with giving feedback or providing feedback and presumably again that level of expertise can vary or it can change according to what the feedback's on so again thinking recently that my eldest jake is now at university in biology and asked me to read through something he'd written to check for grammar and sentence and stuff like that so i can help him with that I can't help him with the intricacies of mitochondria or whatever else it was that this thing that I read and didn't understand was on. So actually he invited my feedback, which changes that context, I guess. It puts him on a, a position where he he's actively seeking and ready to receive what I was able to help him with. Mm, I think that comes back to what we talked about earlier about that relationship. If you have that positive relationship, then you can find ways of giving alternative feedback. Like you say, you may not be able to give feedback from a technical point of view but from a grammatical point of view maybe how to support that or equally sometimes it could be that that child is just seeking affirmation that they've done well at that task and sometimes it can be just a case of well it looks good to me and it looks like you put some detail into it and it can be that you get to a point as a parent where you've got that relationship where you might say well let's just sit down and see if we can research something else to add to it or let's just sit down and and let's see if we can look at this other avenue together and actually that can help to support that credibility aspect and I've talked a lot previously about we want to empower parents to be able to support their child and empowering parents in the process of giving feedback at home works in the sense of that there's some clarity in what they're doing in that piece of work. And if parents have that clarity and they're aware of what the intention is, the pupils aware of what the intention is, then then that can help to support and foster that relationship whereby even if the parent isn't an expert in that particular sort of subject, they can still steer, support, guide and empower their child to do the best they can. As you say, outside of the technical elements, there's still so much that's happening that in a classroom context, the teachers would be able to do 
live that they're just not able to do in the same way. And that's, for me, sort of the, that motivational aspect. That's the praise and the encouragement, the cajoling, all of that kind of thing is well within the parent's gift to be able to help. Yeah, absolutely. That support, like you say, that little nudge to, to keep going, that little nudge to say, okay, you've made a great start on that piece of work. What else do you think you could add to it? And there's a lot of open-ended questions which ultimately become feedback that parents can ask their child in that process. That is important, like you say, for motivation. It's important also to show that you have an interest in their education, which is important too. So while we hope that there'll be lots of the, that's great work, I really like what you've done there. You can see you've put more effort into it. You must be pleased by how this is developing and and all of those kinds of things that can help the child's motivation as well as their growth mindset. There will inevitably be times where the parent has a trickier conversation of, don't you think that you should be paying more attention (laughs) to the lesson as it's happening live? I'm not sure that having your feet on the table and listening to music while Mr. Charles is explaining this to you is right. So we talked before about the relationship and about the position of authority, or rather in terms of being an expert and able to do it. What are the kinds of things, and I guess an environment, if you like, that parents should look for in order to tackle the negative feedback, or rather maybe the feedback that will be less easy to take? One of the possible sort of strategies around that is setting out those expectations as schools we and as teachers we set out the expectations of what we expect from our students every day and i think it's important that in this context at home and and we're learning from home it's very easy teachers themselves and other people the lines between work and home can blur and that happens for pupils as well the line between home and school gets blurred and we know that and i think that one way that parents can help support their child in sort of adjusting to the current circumstances is to set out those sort of boundaries those rules and I suppose it's a little bit like what is the expected sort of etiquette when we're home learning like you say is it having your feet up on the table is it having your mobile phone next to you and actually setting out those expectations right from the start can be helpful in supporting that process because you're right no matter how much positive feedback we give we have to also be mindful that actually we need to give constructive feedback. It doesn't necessarily have to be negative feedback. It can be perceived as negative, but we can give constructive feedback. And I think the important part, just as teachers do at schools, when we give that constructive feedback as a parent, we say, why we're giving it? Why do I want you to sit at your desk to do your lessons today? Why do I want you sat up straight? Why do I want you dressed? Not sat in front of a computer doing your lesson in your dressing gown. And I think that's important. And I think if parents explain the reasons why that's happening, that's going to be a route to encourage. I love that idea of explaining the why. I'm telling you this because, and presumably that's only really made possible in a constructive sense, if you've had that conversation to set out the expectations up front. This is what we agree really needs to happen with remote learning or with revision or self-directed study or, or whatever else it might be. And actually, I don't think we're there yet. So let's talk about why that's important and also what we then need to do to correct it. Maybe corrective feedback is better than negative feedback as a term. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. The problem is with negative feedback is no matter how much we say, oh, we need to provide negative feedback. It goes back to that important bit of you can give feedback. doesn't mean anyone's going to necessarily want to receive it. And if they don't want to receive it, then they won't action it. So you can moan at your child all they like. You need to start wearing your dressing gown for when you're at school. You need to start putting your feet up. You need to start having your, your phone out. But 
all that will be perceived as is being got at in inverted commas. That's how children see it, don't they? You're getting at me. I'm doing it like this because I want to do it like this. This is just getting at me. I'm not gonna, I'm not going to. And the problem is then comes back to that sort of human nature. People start digging their heels in. Like, sure, it happens all the time. Whereby you need to tidy your room. Oh, I'm not tidying my room at the minute. But and then it just that's the problem. And that's why I'm saying it's really important that take that step back, explain the reason why, give that corrective feedback. And you might find as a parent that that's opens the door to then getting into that sort of scenario where there's a more positive sort of feedback loop. And certainly I think that the idea of stepping back really, really resonates with the experience I had with Jake when he was doing his GCSEs and in that what I found was and he was doing those outside of lockdown, but it was a case of just didn't think he was doing what he needed to, and it became fraught. The conversations became very emotional, and that was on me because I was the person who was deciding the timing, I guess. So is it that timing is as important as content when it comes to delivering feedback? Yes, and I think the research shows that the time that you give feedback will be variable, but we know that if someone's tired, and you want to give them some feedback about something, they may not want to hear it. They're less likely to want to hear it. Knowing when to give feedback is also a skill, and we have to be mindful of that. So if, if your child's had a tough day at school and you can see that and they've got a bit frustrated, maybe that's not the right time to give them that corrective feedback. Maybe that's the time to actually say, well, what's gone well today? Talk through what's gone well. Get them to give you feedback about the day. And that's equally important as well. Get them to give you feedback. The more honest they are, the more you build that relationship, the better the opportunity to actually show some positive impact with the feedback that you give because it may unravel things in that conversation that you may not have realised about your child. And equally, it gives that child the opportunity to say the things that they're finding difficult. So I think that's really important. And I think that timing is crucial. We know that sometimes people will deliver feedback at a time that is just really not helpful. And the problem is then that we don't necessarily appreciate that if we give negative feedback, we have a negative feedback incident, if you like. The impact that that can have, the knock-on effect, the domino effect to any future feedback that you might give during that day, that the following day, and actually, sometimes it can unravel and destroy positive relation that you may have been building. So I do think it's one to consider. Is it the right time to give that feedback? Really interesting that the idea of that domino effect and the impact that negative or destructive feedback can have. And if we can think about that in our own sort of lives, even outside of school and performance, if you had nine people tell you they really liked your tie and one person said it was awful, why is it that we would tend to focus on that one bad piece of feedback mm, absolutely and i think it's just because sometimes we don't want to hear the problem is again it comes back to that identity comes back to that relationship comes back to the truth is it that that person's trying to be just nasty trying to be horrible to you and therefore you just want to be guarded you just want to respond to that negativity in another negative way and i think that's the problem and i think that they do say sometimes, don't they, that actually negative feedback, you can turn it into positive feedback, you can use it in a positive way, but I do think it depends on how it's delivered. And sometimes I think that feedback, if delivered in a destructive way, can actually do more harm than good. And I think it's, again, based on the individual. You can destroy someone with negative feedback, and I think that that's important. 
because we know that our sort of younger generation are struggling in, in remote education. We know that just as much as adults are, and I'm sure just as much as the parents are. So we have to consider is the feedback that we're going to about to give. Is it required? First of all, is, is it actually necessary? And what's the point of it? And if there is a point, is it the right time to give it? And if it's not the right time to give it now, do I delay it? And do I give it another time? And if I do give it another time, do I explain the reason why I'm giving it? And then I might actually get that receptive response. I think going back to what we're talking about there with identity, that if I think about some of the times that feedback has really jarred with me is if it goes against my own belief of what I was doing. So if someone were to tell me actually that essay wasn't really good, obviously I appreciate they wouldn't use those words. But if, if I was given feedback on a, on a piece of work and I actually thought I'd done quite well, then that can really jar, can't it? And it's that self-belief, or is it a self-feedback of, of what it was that I thought was happening? Oh, absolutely. If a child has spent hours writing an essay about, I don't know, Jekyll and Hyde, and they think, you know, I've done a really good job here, and then someone says to them, actually, no, that's not great, or that's not really what you expected to do. The problem with that is that, like you say, that as an individual, you put your heart and soul into it. So actually, you feel it's really good. So you're like, oh, no. And I think then it, it comes down to who giving that feedback. Do you respect that person? Do you have that relationship? And there are times where you can be honest with people in a way that is blunt because you have a good relationship with them. So if you have a real strong relation, you can say, actually, you know, well, that's not great, Tom. You haven't really done what was expected, to be honest. You're not going that. I think you need to restart that. And that can be fine if you've got a really strong bond with someone. If you haven't, it doesn't work. So you have to find other ways to actually say, do you know what? Have you considered this? Because actually that isn't really maybe where you wanted to take this possibly. And sometimes it can be more beneficial. So you don't, I suppose, in a sense, offend someone that actually what they think is a great piece of work is maybe not as good as what, they think it is and I think that's again how you approach that the type of feedback you give will depend a lot on the relationship that you have with someone and presumably parents like teachers would be able to see that actually effort had gone into this so delivering a message that was blunter that said actually this isn't the best work you've done actually would be tempered because you'd know instinctively that actually this looks like something that's the heart and soul has gone into as you say in a corporate sense and what feels like a lifetime ago dealing with design agencies who are notoriously prickly people to work with we'd have this what was called the feedback sandwich so you would lead with something that was good i really like the fact that you've turned up i really like the fact that, that you've really listened to what we've talked about and we've done and you can see that in your delivery however and so your filling of the sandwich would be then the bit that didn't necessarily work well, so the corrective feedback, if that's what we're going to call it. And then you'd end with something high as well. But I know that you can do it. I really believe in you, that kind of thing. Do you think that approach is something that could also or does work with students? In some respects it does, but we know that all too often too much praise gets lost in the message that you want to give. We have to make sure we balance it out appropriately. And I think sometimes the simplicity of the business style approach of positive either end with the negative may not necessarily bring across the message that you want. And I think it is okay to give praise. We want to give praise. But equally, when we've built up a relationship with someone, 
who may not be that we need to give them praise because actually what we want to focus on is how to get better we can get lost in the praise the problem is with praise is is you say to them that was what a great effort you put into that visa work i am just i can't bold over the effort you put however you haven't done what's expected and, and it doesn't marry up and that's the trouble so we have to be careful with that approach i think especially with students it can come across as a distractor to what we actually want to share with them and also the young people teens especially have a huge capacity to latch on to the bit that they want to hear don't they so oh fantastic he's, he said i did a great effort and he was really pleased ignoring the fact entirely that the essay missed the point you were talking about animal farm and not jekyll and hyde so actually there is a danger is that as you say that in focusing so much on not trying to cause offence that actually you miss the point of the feedback in its entirety. Yeah, because we naturally, as humans, will filter out what we don't want to hear and just hear the things we want to hear. That's the trouble. Is there an ideal point that students can start being self-critical? I don't mean critical in an overbearing sense. I mean that they reflect on their own work and they can get to that point, almost looking at it through the lens of someone else. Is there that ability that people can have to deliver their own feedback? Oh, absolutely. That comes out over time. And I think that just like anything, it requires being supported by the expert to enable them to do that. And I also think it's a lot of soul searching for individuals that you can be critical of yourself and you can identify because sometimes we can be too critical. That's the problem. We can be too critical and give ourselves lots of negative feedback. But it's definitely something that can be done. And it's definitely something that sort of develops with experience and maturity. I've seen a number of pupils that are able to do that. But they do that because they've been equipped with the skills and the confidence to do that. And I think that just like we teach students how to learn, we teach them the best strategies to learn, we teach them the content of the subjects and our expertise in terms of that knowledge, we need to teach them, well, how can they be sort of reflective learners? How can they actually say, right, proofread their work and where can I spot the improvement myself? But I think that's really important too, because we don't do that very often at primary and secondary school, but when they get to university, we expect them to do that. We expect them to proofread, we expect them to check, we expect them to be self-critical. But we don't do that very often at primary or secondary, not in the last sort of 10 or so years, but I think that is important. There is a darker side, isn't there, to the self-reflected feedback in that those students who might be a bit overzealous or anxious, who are super critical about their own work, which can obviously lead to all kinds of well-being issues. So helping them to find that balance and understand what's realistic and also what's necessary I guess, helps them to find that balance. Yeah, it's having clear expectations. If you're a parent, here's the clear expectations when you're at home. Here's what you're expected to do so they understand in the classroom from the teacher perspective. Here's the expectations. This is what I wanted you to do. There needs to be that clarity because, like you say, some children can be very critical of themselves. And if they're not guided on a path to success, then they will just inevitably end up derailing that journey themselves. And that's the trouble. And then it's more difficult to get them back on that journey. But it's absolutely, from what you've said, but also from what we've heard from other guests, the almost a triangulation between students and parents and teachers that can really help to define what that success could look like and collectively keep students on track to fulfil their potential. Yeah, there needs to be the same feedback that's heard, and that's important. There needs to be that 
sort of collaborative approach. So if the teacher is saying this is the expectations, then parents should be reinforcing that. And the more that's, that's reinforced, the more it becomes the norm. And when it becomes a norm, then it becomes more automatic and seen as a clear expectation when there's a blurred line between the relationship that is with teachers and parents and the child. That's where we see sort of difficulty then. And ultimately, there are times where the child is in the middle and we want to make sure that it's that triangulated approach and not a school versus home approach. And do you think that that's an easy thing to achieve in lockdown? I think that it's more difficult in lockdown, like anything. I think that it is difficult, but then it comes back to those clear expectations. So clear guidance, clear support, clear rationale. This is what we're doing. And sometimes we know that parents will reach out for support and pupils will reach out for support. It's given them the tools and the mechanisms in which to respond to enable them to resolve any issues that they may have. All too often, we know that we'll get to parents' evenings and we'll have the conversation with parents. And we know that parents are on board with school, but don't necessarily hear always the right story from their child because we know that, that the child likes to give the feedback that they believe that their parent wants to hear. And that's the trouble as well with feedback. Sometimes we will say things that we think that the other person wants to hear rather than what they should be hearing. And I think that's why that triangulation is important because otherwise there's mixed messages. Mm. As you said, that's also for that relationship, and I mean student, parent and teacher, to work. It needs to be founded on the absolute belief or knowledge that actually we all want the same thing, which is for the student to do as well as they can or fulfill their potential. And so, as you say, finding that common ground and trusting that all three parties are in that together, single-mindedly focusing on the same aim is presumably the, the most critical aspect then that needs to be in place. Yeah, absolutely. We work best when there's a clear aim and that aim is collaboratively worked towards no matter what industry we're in or whether it's school or workplace or home, if we're working to a common goal in the school context, we know that the common goal is for that child to be the best that they can be. So when we're working on the same aim and the same goal, then we tend to see the better outcomes. Michael. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your insights into the importance of feedback. As Michael said, feedback in one form or another is something that we give and receive all of the time. I love this idea that it might not always be deliberate. The raised eyebrow, the little exclamation of surprise or doubt. They all register with our teams as they would with us and it can build up to an impression of how we feel about what they're doing and left unchecked, this can have an impact on how they feel about themselves. Listening to Michael, I'm aware that there's more of a balancing act than I guess I'd realised. On the one hand, we want to make sure that we're not accidentally undermining our teen's confidence with feedback that's intended to spur them on. But at the same time, we've heard that an excess of praise might bury the real nub of what it is that we want to get across. Striking the right balance will depend, it seems, on the kind of relationship that you have with your child. 
I don't know about you, but if I'd started to talk to my son or daughter in a deliberate what went well, and it would be even better if way, they'd look at me like I'd lost the plot. And fair enough, that's not the role that they would expect from me. But that idea of expectations runs both ways. We need to be clear and agree with our teens, and not just about what we expect from them, but also what they can expect from us. Being able to recognise that we all want the same thing is absolutely key. I'm fairly sure that there were times when Jake was convinced I was only out to make his life miserable, when in actual fact, of course, all I wanted was to try to get him to focus on his studying to fulfil his potential. What actually happened in my attempts was a chaotic mix of almost banal praise for any positive I came across and then disapproval for him not putting in enough effort or similar. I really think that if I'd have followed the steps Michael talked about as a kind of mental checklist, that I could have avoided a lot of that tension. First, is feedback actually required? We don't want a barrage of feedback to simply become background noise. And then, if it is necessary, what's the point of it? Feedback should lead to an action. Now, that could be an open question with the team determining what their action should be, but it should always lead to something. And finally, is now the right time to give the feedback? That timing issue is very important. We've all been in situations where we've given feedback in the moment and it's landed like a lead balloon. In some cases, and in some subjects, this can become incredibly fraught and very emotional, as anyone who's tried to wrestle a phone off of a teen will know. As Michael said, if we don't want to receive a particular piece of feedback, we will reject it. But there is a point when our teens will be more receptive, perhaps in a different context. And that's down to us to step back and think about when to instigate that conversation and how to provide that feedback. I'd be really interested in the impact of what we say to our teens since the conversation with Chris Hildrew on growth mindset many episodes ago. There's a real power in how we react that can shape the way that our children will see themselves. And I think what's been really interesting in talking to Michael today is to uncover those added dimensions of feedback. What I've been especially pleased to hear is that all of this makes perfect sense. It's one of those things where you can't quite believe you weren't doing it that way all the time. But that's the thing with parenting, isn't it? That simple ideas aren't always easy to do. And as much as I would like to think that this episode will mark the end of my raised eyebrow or blurting uh, feedback without thinking it through, I know full well that it won't be. But it will absolutely make me much more conscious and deliberate about the feedback that I give when I can. And it would seem timely to encourage you to give me feedback on how you're finding our podcasts. I'd really welcome your corrective as well as positive feedback on how we're doing. And you can get that to me by emailing hello at thestudybuddy.com. Thank you for listening. I hope that you found this episode interesting. It's certainly given me plenty to think about. If you did, it would be great if you could take a moment to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review. It really does help us reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with your friends on social media is always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, 
So please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.